Hey folks, welcome to the Jason Wright Show, Money Monday. Look, this is the episode dedicated to improving our finances, always in always. Part of our overall improvement has to be to be good stewards of our resources, and that's what Mondays are for on the Jason Wright Show. So with that in mind, let's go. All right, Katie, it's another Money Monday. I'm so glad to have you back. How you doing? Pretty good. I am so thankful to be back. Well, I'm thankful to have you back, and I hope this audience is thankful that uh, this you're getting to pick your big brain you know, on these uh, Money Mondays. Yeah, I know it's a lot of fun for me, and this is your topic you came up with that I think is such a good one today, the biggest money mistake small business owners make. Lord knows if there's one to make. I have made it. So I think this is going to be a really, really benefit to the listeners, especially those who, one, are either in business for themselves or two, I think this could probably be a real eye opener for those who are thinking about going into business. Yeah, absolutely. So there, there's really, when I think of business owners, there's really two people that I'm really thinking about. One is, are those serial entrepreneurs who own a business, their family is totally dependent on their income and that business doing well. And then there's the other entrepreneur who maybe started a side business to help bring in income uh, to help pay off debt or to help save money. And it, it blossomed from a passion that they had. But the thing is, is nobody has ever taught you how to manage that cash flow. And so either the big mistakes that I see are either they're not paying themselves at all, which is more typical of the person who's just starting a business as like a side hustle, side business. Um, or on the other side, the the serial entrepreneur who has more of a snap, an established business, they are just paying themselves everything that their clients are giving them. And they're not saving for taxes. And so they usually, I usually see these people when they come to me and they're like, we have a $20,000 tax bill that we didn't save for in the business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you've got to save for your taxes. Um, and so really understanding how to structure and manage that cash flow of a business is super important for your business to be healthy. Could not agree more. And all right, so I've got a really funny story for you that just happened here recently. And it's and it's a it's a good and bad story. It's it's so weird. I think if everyone had to write a check to the IRS every year instead of just having having it deducted, we would have a lot more people interested in tax policy. I mean, it just it is. And and here's why. So Jimlin and I in our retail business, it has grown really quickly over the last few years. I mean, it's a 12-year-old business and God bless my wife. I mean, what she has built, it started out as a little 1,200 square foot business that she purchased from someone else and just breathed life into it. And now it has become a Tyler institution. I mean, and not just Tyler, I mean, we we have customers come from San Antonio, Fort Worth, Houston, and some, I mean, Mississippi that when they're in town, grandmas when they're in town visiting, 
their uh, grandbabies that live in Tyler, they want to come by Hot Tots where they're always ordering this stuff. So it's, it's really sweet. It's all been built by the sweat of Jimlin's brow. I just, I'm so proud of her. And so, but you know, Jimlin is that proverbial small business owner, Katie, that we're going to be talking about that never set out to be an entrepreneur, never as a little girl growing up in Paris, Texas said, one day I'm going to own my own business and here's what I'm going to do. And that just wasn't her. What it, what it was is a passion for her to, she saw this business available, she, she bought it, and then it just became a matter of loving customers, loving the business, but never really sitting down and budgeting and planning and managing a P&L. As a matter of fact, nothing will make my wife break out in a sweat faster than whenever I ask her to go over the P&L. Hates it. And this most recent tax year, <laughs> she, went, she went up to our CPA and she she looked at I, I we st I still really don't know what she saw, but basically what she thought what what was like a top line number she thought was a bottom line number that we were about to have to pay taxes on, and it just freaked her out. And I had not seen the return yet since our our CPA finished it, and so she calls me and she goes, "Oh my gosh, you're not going to believe what what's happened." And she gave me this giant number. I'm like. That just can't be right. I wish it was, and it, it, but it just, it can't be. It worked out all right. But here's what can happen with a lot of small business owners. That could have been a bad story of, yep, you made a lot more money than you thought you did after everything had been accounted for. The CPA took every deduction that was legally possible, that was justified, but you just made a lot of money. And here's the thing, Katie, that a lot of people don't understand. Just because the business made the money doesn't mean the cash is sitting in the bank ready to stroke a check for whatever the IRS needs. And you've got a lot of money. And that's what, so even as the guy here hosting the, the money Monday show, I have a business where, you know, sometimes we're like, Oh my gosh, we're caught off guard, but thank God that wasn't the case. And so the first one, let's, I, that, so that's just a funny story that I know we'll get into the tax part of business, but I love this one because this is one that a lot of business owners fall into is the first topic that you want to cover here is mixing personal with business finances, which is what I say is like using your business as a piggy bank. So what are some of the pitfalls for just basically operating everything out of the company account? So first off, you're not going to get a good idea of how much you're truly making mm -hmm. if you mix your personal with your business account. Uh, you're not going to have and you're not going to be able to understand what your household actually needs or um, what the business actually needs. If you're uh, mixing personal and business income, it can also and this is really one of the main things. And I am not a lawyer. I will say that right now. I am not a lawyer. But that creates an opportunity for if your business or personally, if you um, are sued, that creates an avenue to pierce that that corporate veil, I think is what they call it, yep. so that they can then go after your business if you've been mixing and mingling money, or they can go after your personal finances and your personal assets if you've also been mixing and mingling and they are suing the company side. So really keeping everything separate so that you've got a separate business account and you've got a separate personal account so that things are separate and you are almost like an employee 
earning an income from the business, not the two are, are one, basically. I think that's so smart. And it's one of the hardest things that every entrepreneur I work with, they seem to deal with. And if, and the, the, the sad part about it, and I'll go back to Jimlin, this is one of the things that I really have um, worked with her on because she's going to be the last person to get paid. I mean, Jimlin is the epitome. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. I brag about Jimlin all the time. I can't help it. I'm, I'm very proud of her. She's amazing. And she's, she's literally like what Simon Sinek talks about, the leader that eats last. That's who she is. And as a result, good leaders and good business people, a lot of times when it comes to entrepreneurs, they take that to, they're going to pay themselves last. And I think what it does for an entrepreneur or a small business owner, which I define as two separate things, and I'll just do, say that real quick. Entrepreneur is someone who's building a business to one day have a prepare for a big exit or a financial event. A small business owner, which is probably the most of the people that we're talking to, most of the categories of entrepreneur or small business owners that you bought yourself or built yourself a job is what you did. You built yourself an alternative uh, job. And so Therefore, you're, you're just happy that there's money at the end of the day. But the problem is if you're not paying yourself and you can't look at that salary, like you said, and make it to where you're truly running that business as a business and you are an employee of a business that you just so happen to own all the stock of, it can really be a beat down on you mentally because you will feel so poor. You will feel, and that's what Jimlin has struggled with at the time at times because we'll have our biggest sales year ever, but because she's put all the money back into the business with an inventory and not taking any for herself. It just causes this, this emotional and psychological burden to where you can't help but think at times, why am I doing this? So I think this whole idea of just keeping everything separate and paying for your, your groceries, your house, everything that you have out of that paycheck you pay yourself. And then what, here's another thing, Katie. Again, we'll probably talk about this in the tax support part of it. A lot of people that hear that, they're going to say, yeah, Jason, but my tax rate's going to be much higher if I don't take that money out of my, if I, if I take the money out or if I don't take it out rather to myself through an S corp or whatever, and let it flow to the bottom. If I leave it in the company and I have a quarter of a million, $300,000 sitting in my company account, that's terrible. I've got to get that money out. And to those people, I would say, no, what a good problem to have at the end of the year. If you've paid yourself, you can bonus yourself, you can do quarterly dividends. There are other ways to manipulate your tax rate beyond just spending all the money, letting it all flow through and never knowing where you stand. And I think that's one of the biggest ones. I'm really glad you brought that. And then, like you said, just the liability aspect of having you know someone come after you. If it's mixed up, then guess what? Everything's up for grabs. Well, and going back to like, oh, I don't want to have this huge chunk of money sitting in my business account doing nothing or increasing my tax rate. Listen, if you, one of the things that I encourage my clients or really anybody to do if they own a small business is to have a six month emergency fund of total expenses. That's including paying yourself, keeping the business running as far as operating expenses are concerned and an amount that you would then also save for taxes. Because if you don't have that, you have no runway when it comes to your business. So let's just say like COVID happened, okay? And you have to shut down your wall, uh, your doors or the amount of sales decreases dramatically. 
you then, if you have that six months just sitting there, it's an insurance policy, basically, that you have a six-month runway to either gain more clients in a different manner or you have six months to figure out how, like, what job you're going to do, change careers, do something. But if you don't have any, any savings, then what, what's going to happen? You're not going to have an income. You're not going to be able to put food on your table. I mean, it, it creates, it's already going to be stressful because the business isn't doing well and you don't have sales. But now that stress has been transferred into your home. Mm-hmm. because you don't have an income either. So yes, okay, maybe you have to, maybe you're going to have a bump in the percentage of taxes that you're going to have to owe at the end of the year. But having just that cushion and that runway for when something happens, or if you get sick and you're in the hospital for two months and then you got to go to rehab for another month after that, you can still pay yourself and your business still has money to operate. Um, And so I just really encouraged for people to think of it as insurance Mm -hmm. versus because I have managed my money well and I've been wise with it. Now I'm having to pay this penalty called taxes because I have a chunk of money in my bank account. That's yeah. not at all what it is. No, I, I I could not agree more. And one of the things too, what do you think about this? Because this is one of the things that I've told a lot of entrepreneurs whenever I've helped them kind of get off the ground or kind of advise them. And 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 by the way, I have advised entrepreneurs uh, based on having made nearly every mistake you can possibly make. I mean, the tr- I, it's funny. So the best I've teacher. Been, oh, it really is. You know, I. It's funny. So I had spent, I guess, almost a decade as a small business owner before I went to SMU to business school. And there you learned, I mean, it's, it's great. You, it was good to, to learn those things, but the real, the real rubber meeting the road is where I learned and it was making the mistakes and having to come up with that cash to pay taxes when you didn't know how you were going to do it because I hadn't planned correctly. Or one of my, my favorite story, Katie, is my very first full year in um, self-employment where I, I just bought my business. And I mean, I, I leveraged myself to, to, to the hilt to buy this uh, small uh, real estate firm in, in Tyler and lived off savings. I had, when I closed the deal, I was able to walk away from the closing table with some working capital and then I had savings and I didn't pay myself the entire year. I just lived off that working capital and savings. And by the end of the year, I'm call it my CPA. <laughs> I was like, um, I just thought about some, how does this work whenever, you know, coming from a fortune 500 company to owning my own business, just, you know, taxes are kind of handled because again, it's, you know, it comes out of your check and it's just, it's more systematic. But as a small business owner, I'm like, how does it work? I haven't paid myself anything, but I know I'm not just going to get off scot-free. And so, well, you might actually be eligible for an earned income tax credit. <laughs> and that's how it was. My first year, I was like, wait a minute. And I said, isn't that for people who are less fortunate? And he started laughing. He said, well, he said, the, the thing is, though, you haven't taken any money. You put everything you were making back into the co- company. I, so I always tell that story as like, you know, wow, you just never know what's going to happen. And so it's kind of it's crazy. But what do you think about this idea? 
because this is what I've advised a lot of business owners to do that are, that are just freaked out. And in fact, my own wife, this is what advice I gave her. If you're freaked out about cutting yourself a check, uh, because you think to yourself, I can't, you know, I'm already hiring employees. We've already got a payroll. Why would I add to that? I've advised them to create a 10% management fee going back to the world of private equity or real estate brokerages. That's how I paid my managers. They got a 10% override whenever, whatever came in in commissions for that month, they got a 10% management fee off the top of whatever came in. And a lot of, um, private equity firms, that's the management, the asset manager, the guy that's brought in or the girl that's brought in to run that whole, that company that the private equity firm has bought. They get paid a percentage of the sales as their management fee. And I, a lot of entrepreneurs tend to like that that I've worked with because then they're like, okay, I'm not just dug in and committed to $100,000 a year as a salary and all that at least I'm paying myself a 10% fee off the top. Now you got to be disciplined to do that. You got to reconcile at the end of every month and go, all right, we brought in. And, and especially when they see that, who there's only, you know, $2,500 left in the bank account after I pay myself this management fee. But nevertheless, that that's one of the things that if the business can support it, that I've advised, do you have any thoughts on what's better W2ing yourself or doing a management fee or a quarterly dividend? What has worked best for your small business clients? Uh, so it really depends on kind of how new their business is and how dependent their household is on their income. Uh, so I've got one client, uh, husband may, has his own business and he's, um, He's a service-based business. So sometimes sometimes of the year is a lot more is a lot busier than other times of the year. And for him and their their household, I suggested to them because their personal finances are also pretty chaotic and they're trying to get out of debt over here. Is hey, figure out how much your household needs and and have that be your base pay. Now make sure that the business can handle that salary. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then maybe every quarter, anything that you have uh, saved and put into savings, it hasn't gone to savings for taxes or it hasn't gone to savings for um, any big purchases that are needed. Um, operating expenses are obviously already paid for. Then take a percentage of that. I mean, who doesn't want a quarterly bonus? Right. <laughs> and then and if you're dil also if you're diligent with saving for taxes and then you and, and I would always say over save for taxes at the be in good contact with your CPA. Right. Because they're going to let you know, OK, you need to be saving this percent each month um, to be able to have enough savings to pay for taxes. But for the clients who kind of have that smaller business, they're their um their household income or their household budget isn't totally dependent on that small business income a good exercise is to still pay yourself because then you're getting in a routine of okay everything is not going to go back to the business and everything isn't going to um go back to growing it 
I need to practice paying myself so that when it becomes big enough and when my household starts relying on my income, I've already started doing it. And same with taxes. Maybe the great example, myself. Um, when years ago, when I was, um, I had started a photography business to help bring in extra income to help pay debt off faster and save money faster. Um, our family didn't totally rely on that. And my husband and my, my day job and my husband's day job was able to cover the tax bill that our household had. But I still incrementally saved for taxes because if, if and when my photography business did grow big enough and did cause a tax burden, I still had it. And I had been practicing saving for it all that time. But come February, come April, when we get the tax bill or when our CPA had done our taxes and we didn't owe anything, now I have this huge chunk of money saved up for taxes. And now that's my yearly bonus, right? Yeah. Another great way to give yourself an extra bonus. So um, I really think that it depends on um, how established your business is as far as um, whether or not you want to be a W-2 employee. Also working real closely with your CPA. I am not a CPA, um, so I don't know those tax laws and how to finagle, uh, legally finagle, <laughs> being in a lower tax bracket. Um, but I think that it's super important to at least have a baseline of what you're going to bring in no matter what. So maybe even splitting it from a base pay plus a percentage on top, you could do that um, depending on how well the company did that month or, or quarter. But I, I think that it's very important for the stability of the household to be able to know, okay, we're going to at least have this amount of money brought into our house for our personal finances. What percentage would you say of your client that owns small businesses actually prepare a budget every year? <laughs> That's the response I think. That's exactly what it's to. Unfortunately, that's the response I figured I would get, right? I mean, so I'm so I'm guessing you're what? laughing because what a stupid question. They all do, Jason. Every single one of them, right? Absolutely not. I had another client of mine. Um, he's uh, <laughs> he's had he's had a few businesses. They're all very similar. Um, and he went and bought this business because he really had these great aspirations for a certain type of business. I'm not going to go into it just because I don't. I, I don't want to, you know, air that out. But anyways, um, I don't, I'm not sure the research was totally done there because uh, he showed me the P&L and he was like, my CPA says that I have this amount left over, but, but I don't even see where I paid myself and, and I had this amount in savings, but um, now I have less in savings. How can I have less in savings if I'm having to rely on the business savings? But I have this profit, you know, at the bottom line of the PL. And I was like, okay, well, how much did you pay yourself in that time period? And I said, and how much money did you pull out of savings? 
And if you added those, the bottom line of that P&L plus the amount that he had pulled out of savings that equaled what he had paid himself. Yeah. I was, yeah. I was like, you're, you're not making a profit first off. Um, and because all three of his businesses, finances were mingled, mm -hmm. he wasn't even able to decipher which of the three businesses was actually profitable. And it turned out that one was super profitable, but it was keeping the other two afloat. Mm -hmm. But because he had bought the other one, it just added to the stress and added to the amount of work that he was having to do. And it didn't increase his pay. Yep. And in fact, it was depleting the business savings. So yeah, another reason why you need to make sure that things are separated both personally and if you have multiple businesses, those need to be separated too so that you can be able to see, okay, maybe, maybe we should put more time and effort in this area because it's so much more profitable. And maybe we made a mistake buying this thing or doing, trying this out and maybe we just need to drop it because that's where the money is fleeting from. You know, people thought Jack Welch was crazy on a much larger scale whenever he took over CEO of GE and he uh, started eliminating all the businesses that were not in the top one or two position of their, their category. But what that did is allowed GE to focus on what GE was really, really, really good at. And therefore, you know, that's why he became one of the most legendary managers of the, uh, of the, the, the 20th century. And I think that a lot of people, they, and entrepreneurs there, it's, they're kind of a double-edged sword. The thing that makes a good entrepreneur so great is also one of the things that makes an entrepreneur such, so, so bad in that, and I see this again with my wife, she's like, I don't care about a budget. I don't care about what it's going to take. I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this work. I will make the money. And, and that's what, whenever, uh, and I, when I was younger, I was 28. Some of it was naivete. Some of it was just pure bravado. I don't, and, and, but more than anything, it was truly just the life we wanted to live. Whenever I bought my first company at 28, I had no business doing it, but failure just wasn't failure was a possibility, but it was not one that ran me off. I remember thinking that going, What's the worst case scenario? I got bankrupt. I'll start over. I'm 28, 29. I'll be 30. I'll start over. And that's how entrepreneurs tend to think. They're just like this. So what? Let's just slam the the dice up against the wall. And they think, well, so it, the the business is sucking wind right now. I'll make it. I'll make it work. And and I think that's one of the reasons why. And also entrepreneurs, I think, are entrepreneurs because they hate boundaries. They hate restriction. They hate the fact that if, if you got you got two options. I can either go have a guaranteed paycheck of 150 K a year, or I can go into business for myself and have the potential of half a million a year. I will take the potential of half a million over the guarantee of 150 K a year, just like the, uh, the, the, the staff worker will say, heck no, I have got to have that guarantee of 150. I don't care if I could possibly make a million if it's not guaranteed, I want none of it. And there's nothing wrong with either. But the fact that the entrepreneur hates being pinned in often causes them. And I'm, I'm speaking from personal experience. I hate budgets. I hate sitting there looking at going, you mean that this month I can only spend this amount on 
whether it's inventory or, or travel for business or whatever, I, I, I just, I don't like to be pinned down. I'm like, heck no, this is mine. I'm going to do it. If I want to do it, I'm going to do it. And I think that there's just something of that adventurous nature that it almost kind of neuters that entrepreneur into being like, you know, more tame than they want to be. But man, if you can ever get your mind wrapped around the, 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 just the peace of mind that comes with having that budget in place and at least have an idea. And here's what'll blow Katie, a lot of business owners minds is there is so much predictability uh, with re with the exception of the black swan event like COVID you mentioned, and boy, trust me, was that crazy whenever Jim Lynn and I had to deal with that, being in the retail business, brick and mortar, old school, couldn't open our doors. It was an adventure, but we did it. And it was, and my wife, again, she was, she refused. And, and one of the cool things I have to say to this and to the listener, um, Jim Lynn Wright, refused. It was, I, I left the decision completely up to her because she's built that business. But when it came to the PPP loan, um, she said, no, we don't need that. We're going to trust that the Lord is going to take care of us and we're going to figure out a way through this. We're not going to do that. There are people who absolutely need it. We're not one of them. And she didn't, and anybody knows my wife, she's not saying that with bravado. She's just saying, I trust that the Lord's going to take care of us. And man, we did. Not didn't take one penny um, in PPP loans. We kept our staff and kept rolling with the doors shut for a long period of time. She and I having to go make deliveries till nine o'clock at night for a while. And um, she made it work. But I think that if you are an entrepreneur who will sit down and make that budget and be the, be the, 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 uh, adventurous warrior that you are as an entrepreneur and go, I'm going to blow this budget out of the water, uh, but make the budget. It just makes life so much easier. And like one of the things that you wrote here as a note, if you don't do it, your business can become an out of control cash eating monster. And oh my goodness, isn't that the truth? Talk about. Yeah. And you, yeah. So one of the, th I think that as an entrepreneur, you're a little more comfortable with risk versus somebody who's like stiff arms, the whole entrepreneur way of life. Um, because you also want more freedom, mm -hmm. right? You want the freedom to be able to decide how you're going to work, when you're going to work, where you're going to work. And you enjoy that challenge. Uh, but, and, and when we think about happiness, People are like, you know, money can't buy happiness. Well, it can buy a lot of fun. <laughs> Let's yeah. just be honest. Yeah. But when we think of money equating to happiness, the on the happiness scale, it's really how you're able to spend your time. And when you have more money, you're able to spend your time in different ways than if you have no money. And if you are wise and create a budget and you aren't bursting at the seams or even like your business budget is like a busted can of biscuits, right? Like it's just not, not good. <laughs> and you're overextending yourself. What's that creating? That's creating sleepless nights, stress. And that's not what you want as an entrepreneur. That's not why you got into business. Yeah. You got into business for the freedom that it that that you have in your mind that that would allow. 
But if you are not disciplined enough to sit down, okay, we are going to, no matter what, save 25% of everything that comes into our, um, into our bank account towards taxes so that come April, I'm not stressing trying to figure out how to pay the taxes. Um, I'm going to be diligent about paying myself 10% to bring home or a base salary to bring home. Or you know what? Great opportunity to go uh, travel for business, but it's not going to bring an income or it doesn't have a potential to, to add value as far as building the business up. Maybe I just need to step back and be like, that's a great opportunity, but now's not the time. Mm-hmm. And just being wise about it and being disciplined so that you do have the freedom to sleep at night and you're not stressing about it. So you do have the freedom to once you leave the office or step out of your home office or whatever it looks like, that there's not that added stress that you're bringing home to your to your family and hanging out with your friend. Um, so I just, I really think that uh, even though we don't like the, con- entrepreneurs don't like the confines and the discipline, it's important so that you can achieve what you're really trying to to go after. Could not agree more. And one of the things, and I know that we're, this really is a conversation for another day, but just it's something I think every single entrepreneur, small business owner should be aware of. You, you, you need to be building this business and stewarding this business so that it, it's ready for when you're not ready, when you no longer want to run it. And I think that I know having done multi, you know, a lot of valuations on small businesses, the cleaner the books are, the more the company will sell for, and the quicker the transaction, the less, the more trust is established. And it's just kind of a known thing when you're acquiring a smaller business, there's the, how much the company makes. And then let's look at the owner's personal income to figure out what the real bottom line is, because they are milking the company for, for everything. Understand why they do it. Um, but if you want it to just be clean, simple, and to one day have that nice exit, if if you don't have any generations coming behind you that want the business, run it as though you were preparing this thing to sell the next year or so. Just keep it, make it look the way you would want a business to look that you were about to purchase so that you could then tell somebody, yeah, I mean, look, I, here's, I show my owner salary, owner bonus, whatever it is, however that's listed on, on the, the business's uh, tax statement. And then here is my W-2 to match. Here's what, I'm, here's what I pay myself. And by the way, yes, there are, as you can see in the company's account, there's $350,000 in retained earnings still sitting there because we have, so there's the cash, there are the assets. Here's how much it's profitable. Here's how much you can pay yourself and then, and, if you have to service some debt to buy my company, well, look, I'm paying myself a quarter of a million dollars a year. If you can live off 150 a year, the, there you go. There, so this, as you can tell them, you can tell the story. This business will pay for itself for you, and you will have some money left over. If you can, and professionalizing it, oh, like that's professionalizing absolutely. it, absolutely, because you also don't want to be like the business is is the person, exactly. because if the business is the person and you sell it. Well, that person's no longer there. So that business is no longer there. 
That's so yeah, you right. absolutely have to professionalize it and and you can even there's there's a business guy that I follow, um, Donald Miller. I don't know if you oh, know. Oh, sure. Him. Yeah. But Story, he, Story Brand. Yeah. Story Brand. He took an entire month and went on vacation in London and he was not in the business. Mm-hmm. And that's wonderful because when you have a buyer come that's wanting to buy the business, they he can show I've I've professionalized this. We've got systems that I can step away and it still run mm-hmm. and it still brings in income and it's not totally dependent on me. Absolutely. And, and what a gift that is. So yeah, could not agree more. I can't believe this, that um, going back to taxes that you wrote here on the notes you gave me that the top, one of the most uh, top three most frequent debts that you see for business owners is the taxes. I mean, what, what a, beating whenever because again your your business shows a profit i mean the only way that happens is if this business made a lot of money and you just you you blew it all it's gone and it's, you owe taxes on it the irs could care less what you did with the money after you got it but we they just want their taxes based on that that number so i mean how so people actually come to you over and over that have had to borrow money to pay their taxes what a what a kick in the gut yeah. Well, and, and it's not even that they're, that they have borrowed money, like gotten a personal loan or business loan to pay their taxes off. They are now in a payment plan with the oh. IRS and they're like, I don't, I don't want to be in this. You know, I don't want, I don't want this to happen again. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't want the IRS knocking on my door either. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's just, it's, um, it's either the loan that they took out to purchase a business um, or they bought equipment um, to start their business, which when we think about that, if you are using your own money versus borrowing money, you spend more time thinking about the purchase and you may even buy less to help get your business started versus if you're using a loan to do it. Um, I, I just think that when you use your own money and you do it over time, you're going to make better decisions and you're not obviously going to wind up in debt for that. And then the third one is taxes. They just did not save for taxes or they borrowed from their tax savings to go do X, Y, or Z or to buy this piece of equipment or whatever. And it's that account is do not touch it. Yeah. Don't touch it. If you have, if you wind up with more in there, great. That's your yearly bonus. But do not touch that money. And a very baseline, again, go to your CPA, figure out what the percentages that you need to be saving. But at the very bottom amount, 25% needs to be going to taxes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm pretty sure, you know, now that we've hired, what, 86,000 more IRS agents there. Yeah, the IRS is, and I will say this, um, every time I've had to deal with the IRS, it has been, believe it or not, I'm not being facetious, facetious. It's been very pleasant. They, the, the agents that I've had to deal with, yeah, they've been very kind to me. Like, oh my goodness. One of my biggest, uh, snafus as a, or as a young green business owner was that every single time I would do payroll, I would make a deposit in my EFTPS account. And that sounds really 
good. I mean, it's like, I only, I was a small enough business. I only had to pay quarterly, but I was like, nope, if I cut a check, I'm going to go ahead and make the deposit. But what happens is that calendar doesn't stay in sync with the calendar that the taxes are due. That's point one. Point two, the IRS is more interested in you giving them accurate reports than they are the actual money. They just want to know exactly how much you owe us and have you paid it, not so much how much you've paid. And so one day I get this email or a call or something that, that or a letter, that's what it was, it was old school. I had a letter that they were about to start. They were going to garnish my accounts. They were going to seize my assets, all these different things. And it freaked me out. And I'm sitting there thinking, how is this possible? I pay immediately. It was all because of my payroll taxes. So back then there was an IRS office here in Tyler. There's, it's no longer here. And I went over and I, you know, scared to death and talked to this lady. Her name was Lee something. I can't remember what it was. She was as kind as she could be. And she said, yes. She said, I'm looking at your account. She said, absolutely. Based on the money that you owe, you have paid that amount of money, but you didn't file your reports. And I'm like, well, and this is another thing, kids. When you can afford to have professionals do the work for you, hire the professionals. Don't do things you're not good at. Jason Wright is not good at payroll and accounting. That's not my strength. Never going to be. And she helped me work it out and, and it was fine. But those are those little things that, you know, again, kind of what we talked about. There is no, no one tells you, there is no special license or school that you go through to, you know, yeah, you can go get an MBA, you can go to business school and all that. But even that doesn't prepare you necessarily to go own your own business. And actually, you know, buying a business is kind of like you getting to have a baby. I'll never forget whenever we left the hospital with our first baby. And I was like, oh my gosh, they're really letting us leave with this little bitty human. You know, are you kidding me? They're really, they don't care. Who gave me permission to do this? Yeah. <laughs> are you kidding me right now? It's kind of the same thing with a business. It doesn't matter if you can pull it off, if you can figure out a way to buy it, to start it, whatever. Okay. But by the way, there are a lot of laws and regulations governing how you have to do this. So you better learn them. And that's just one of those things that the, the IRS is, and, and going back, you, you mentioned the payment plan. So a lot of people hearing that, they, they may think, oh, well, it's a payment plan and it's by the government. So it's probably just interest-free. They'll let you pay off your, your, your taxes over time. You got in trouble. Yeah, no, Uncle Sam is not forgiving and does not care. They're like, nope, you're still going to pay the penalties and interest over the time of the money that you haven't paid in. It, it, it's going to cost you more than if you had paid it in the first place. No, and they'll be kind. They'll help you work out a payment plan, but it is going to cost you more money in the long run. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, there are, there are penalties, there are fees, depending on how much you owe, um, how late you were. And, and then it's just added stress on top of, okay, well, where, where are you going to cut back? on this coming year, right? And you typically, if you if you file late, you're filing in October. Mm -hmm. So then you now only have three months to be like, oh my goodness, if that's what I owed last year, I have to save up. And if, if we're doing a similar year this year, I only have three months to make up that difference. But I'm now adding another expense because I have to pay the IRS back from last year. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it, it, yeah, being in close contact with your CPA, letting the professionals handle the payroll and paying your taxes, 
um, is, I mean, it's worth their money. Yeah. It's totally worth their money because that's something that you don't want to mess up. I agree. And one of the things too, that I used to always say that small business ownership is kind of like standing in one of those boots at a convention where they flip on the switch and all the dollars start flying around. You grab as many as you can. And then you come in your pocket. Yeah. And that's, that's, and because it's like that, that's stressful. That's really stressful because the when, you're, the, when the switch comes on, you're just racing to get as much as you can. And then the switch is off. And as a small business owner, when the switch is off, you're like, oh, this is just misery. There's no money. And what am I doing? And I think that goes back to what you talked about earlier. When you don't see the money you're making, when you don't pay yourself, we you don't get some of the money out of that business. You know, I had this conversation with Jim and I, because you know, she works herself to the bone and she feels like, Everything is just going back to that business because that's what she'll do. She, whatever she makes, she puts right back into inventory. And it's just, it's just because we don't live off of hot tots. It's just, it's meant to grow and just in, and, um, and so I've told her, I said, yeah, I said, but here's the thing. You're going to wear yourself out because you're never really seeing the, the, the great business that it is, which at the end of the day, a business exists, not just to be a service provider for the customers that are coming in, but to make a living, to make money. And, um, and so it can just be a beat down for an entrepreneur to be working that hard and never feel like they're making money. When the good news is, as I'm sure you see with your clients, when you can show them, no, you're making money. You just need to make some adjustments so that you can actually feel like you're making, so you can feel the, the, the positive impact of making that money. And it's just something you see over and over and over with small business owners. They just, my, my dad was a small business owner his whole life. And I guarantee you, my dad would tell you, he never felt like he was making the money he was. He was making a good living, but I guarantee you, it was a hard fought living. And you know, he, and he was a guy that was like that typical small business owner. He did not live on a budget. He didn't work with a budget. He just went out, hustled, busted his tail and provided for the family and never really took stock of what is this business really making and doing. And, um, I think that's a shame. That's a shame. You go through too much to be a small business owner, to not reap some of those rewards. Yeah, absolutely. And if you if you think about if you are an employee, how nice is it to be rewarded for the work that you've done? Mm -hmm. Right. And not not only in the praise that your boss may give you, but also with compensation like you. It's nice to have both. But as the business owner, there is nobody next to you, above you, whatever, saying you are doing great. I mean, you're just kind of hoping that you're doing the best and then if you're not so that so you don't have the verbal acknowledgement of how great of a job that you're doing maybe your customers are telling you but you're like okay yeah yeah, yeah. but then if you don't have that if you don't have the verbal acknowledgement of how well you're doing in business and then you're not paying yourself you're not getting benefit from either and it's it is just a beat down and i understand the as my own like entrepreneur mind, it's like, oh, I can, I can see, I can visualize how big and how well this business is going if I were to just not really pay myself and pour it all back into the business. Mm -hmm. But then for what? Because if the business grows and you're not paying yourself, 
Like you're just adding more stress, more time that you're putting into it. And again, you're not having any compensation. So if you slow down and maybe it takes two years instead of one year, but as the business incrementally grows, your income and what you're taking home should also incrementally grow. It should be in tandem because otherwise you're just, it's not fun. You don't understand that, you know, you're actually doing the work and you're, I mean, you do understand that you're actually doing the work, but you're not getting paid for it. And it's just, it's the, the goalposts are always moving. Yeah. And you're never, you're never, you never feel like you're getting that first down. Yeah. Even though you are. <laughs> yeah. Precisely. Precisely. Well, Katie, I think this is all really good advice. I think it, um, and also, I mean, to the, to the person out there that's thinking about buying a business, starting a business, one of the things, because of this conversation, I, I love to have these conversations with would-be entrepreneurs because I, I've said this a million times before, it, running and owning a business is very much like whenever I thought I wanted to get a motorcycle. It was a cool idea. In reality, it was terrible. Uh, it was a good thought. It was a good vision. Me on a motorcycle looking like James Dean. I thought that'd be really cool. And Hair then I blowing oh, in the Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, um, it, it just, the, me, the most boring, non-coloring outside the lines guy, but that would be my act of rebellion if I had a motorcycle. Then I tried to ride one. And I turned it over within 30 seconds in a church parking lot. And it's like, yeah, that, the thought of it, cool. The reality of it, catastrophe. If you're going Check that to, box. <laughs> it's done. It's over. But for those who think that they want to be an entrepreneur, understand the reality of it is a lot of times much different than the actuality of it. Now, I can tell you right now from firsthand experience, it has been wonderful for me. It, I, I, can, I can know no other kind of life than the life of an entrepreneur and being able to, quote unquote, uh, control your own destiny, whatever. And I'm the type, you know, one of my buddies and mentors, Phil Burks, he once told me, he said, you know, entrepreneurs are the only people who will work 90 hours a week to make sure they never have to work 40 hours a week. And that's absolutely what it is. And so, but just, just know these are the realities. And if you, if you follow this, man, it can be really, really rewarding. Yep. Absolutely. I've, I've totally enjoyed this conversation. Not likewise, Katie. Well, thanks so much. And so with that, I guess I will sign us off here. So. That's Katie. I'm Jason. Another episode of Money, Money, Money. Gosh, game set. Money Monday is in the can. And hey, one of the things Katie and I talked about before we got on, send us your questions. Send. We want to do some more. We want to take on some of the issues that you may have had in your own household with husband and wife not quite agreeing or making some moves without the other, whatever the case. And we want to determine, like, kind of talk through those things what advice we would give, or if you're facing that big purchase, one of you's just not, a, one of you's a super saver, the other one is like a super spender. How do you kind of make, how do you come to a consensus on what you really should do? We want to help walk people through that. It's the best we can. And maybe, Katie, maybe we'll even get someone on the show sometime. That'd be kind of fun. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So thanks so much for joining us. We're out.
The information provided on the Jason Wright Show podcast is for general informational purposes only and should not be construed as professional, financial, or investment advice. The content presented is based on the host's opinions and personal experiences, and it may not be suitable for all individuals. The hosts and guests of The Jason Wright Show are not licensed financial advisors, investment professionals, or registered representatives. Listeners are strongly advised to seek advice from qualified financial professionals before making any investment decisions. The content provided in this podcast should not be considered a substitute for personalized financial advice. Investing involves risk and the value of the investments can go up or down. Listeners are encouraged to conduct thorough research and consider their own financial situation and risk tolerance before making any investment decisions. The past performance of investments discussed on the podcast is not indicative of future results. The Jason Wright Show podcast may include discussions of specific investment strategies, financial products, or market trends. Such discussions are for educational and informational purposes only and should not be interpreted as endorsements or recommendations. Listeners should be aware that financial regulations, laws, and tax rules can change and may vary based on jurisdiction. Any information provided in this podcast may become outdated or inaccurate over time. By accessing and listening to this Jason Bright Show podcast, you acknowledge and agree that the hosts, guests, and creators of the podcast shall not be held liable for any losses, damages, or expenses arising from your reliance on the information presented. You also acknowledge that any investment decisions you make are solely your responsibility. Remember to consult with a qualified financial professional before making any investment decisions. Always do your own research and due diligence to ensure that any financial or investment strategies are appropriate for your individual circumstances.